If we haven't served up anything that turns your crank yet, well, third time's charm, as they say. And here in week number three, we'll be visiting with Mark Keelan from John James Audubon State Park. He's going to talk about the park's noteworthy attractions and the perfect opportunity for a peaceful escape, despite being just a stone's throw away from US-41 in Henderson. And later... We'll be chatting with Louisville-based Bridge 19, a band whose music just cannot be confined to one genre. They will talk about their journey up to now, and we will hear a track from their most recent album entitled In the Afterglow. It's episode three of Blabbing in the Bluegrass, so kick back, relax, but don't go to sleep, because it starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Greenville to Greensburg to Greenup, we've got you covered on Blabbit in the Bluegrass, exploration and celebration of all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore, once again welcoming you to the fabulous five-star North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson KY. Folks, you make the show. I told you that last week. I'm not just saying that. It's from the heart. I enjoy conversing and interacting with my listeners just as much as I like making connections with my guests all across the state. It's those two things that really do make this show worthwhile for me. And of course, I'm seeking to spotlight state parks, restaurants, musicians, communities across the Commonwealth, and the list could just go on and on. Now, if you'd like to suggest a special guest for me to invite to the program, or if there's a particular subject that you'd like for me to try to dabble in a little more, I'm just an email away. It's bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. Again, that's B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. And you're in for a treat this week with Mark Keelan from Audubon State Park. He's going to fill us in on the park's rich tradition as well as the one-of-a-kind museum dedicated to the life of bird enthusiast John James Audubon. And later... We will find out how Bridge 19 has managed to build such an audience despite such a wide range of music in their portfolio. And we will also hear a track from their album In the Afterglow. And trust me, you will not be disappointed in it. But first, let's get to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster. We do one of these each week. Of course, you'll get the answer at the conclusion of the show. But this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster sort of piggybacks on the last week's question. Of course, last week we asked what were Kentucky's three original counties. They were, of course, Jefferson, Fayette, and Lincoln, all established at the same time in 1780. This week, I want to know what is the most recent county to be established in the state of Kentucky. Again, what is Kentucky's newest county? 
You think on that. I can see your wheels spinning right now. We will do the answer in the concluding segments of the program. But right now, without further ado, let's venture straight up US 41 here in Henderson and chat with Mark Keelan from John James Audubon State Park. Presenting Sam Moore's State Park Spotlights. It is another State Park Spotlight here in Blabbing in the Bluegrass, and today we're spotlighting one in my hometown of Henderson. And we have the park manager here to tell us about this longtime staple in the area. It's none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mark Keeland. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's sure a privilege. Now, uh, how long have you been at the park, Mark? I've been here a little over 15 years. 15 years. Okay. So I think we can call you a seasoned pro at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess you can call it. I'm still learning, though. It's, it's, a, it's interesting. You learn something new even after 15 years every day. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a never-ending education, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it is. Absolutely. Now, um, Mark, I know that uh, Audubon State Park has uh, been a cherished Henderson landmark for uh, decades. If you would, uh, just talk to us a little bit about the, the history of the park and how it has become a, a household name for both locals and tourists. Sure. Well, uh, Audubon Park was built by the CCC and the WPA in the 1930s. Um, but really, Susan Starling Tolls, a uh, local librarian here, uh, was an Audubon fan uh, when she was, uh, since she was a girl. Her grandfather actually had a set of the quadrupeds of North America, which um, Audubon did later on in his life. And she was trying to get a, a museum going in, in Henderson, and uh, he had owned a, a, a mill uh, on, on the banks of the Ohio, and she wanted the museum to go there uh, while she was trying to raise money for that, uh, that, that actually burned. And so, okay. uh, it, so she um, was trying to honor John James Audubon in Henderson for a long time. Audubon lived in Henderson longer than he lived anywhere else uh, in his lifetime. Right. Uh, he traveled, traveled around quite, quite a bit. And um, so, you know, she, she ended up doing a mailing campaign, raising money and eventually going, uh, to Congress and, and, and um, trying to get a, a bill passed so uh, they could they could fund a, a state park here. And so that, that all happened uh, in the early 30s. Uh, in 1934, they actually started work on the museum and the, and the park itself. They had to, you know, uh, bring the CCC in from Camp Cromwell, which was uh, adjacent to the park. And, and they started working in 1934 and, and really worked up until World War II, um, building uh, an incredible museum. Uh, the museum is uh, a French-style uh, architecture because Audubon was French. Right. And then uh, another beautiful building, which I'm in right now, is the, is the Tea House, which was a restaurant when it first opened oh, in gotcha. 1940. 40, uh, 1940 and it's opened up as a restaurant for a couple months and then uh, or actually 41 and then world war ii broke out and everybody went to war but um and it's the english style building uh in, in in honor of his wife's uh heritage so they built uh cabins uh drained lakes or drained swamps and made lakes um a ton of hiking trails um uh, just different. You know, they had a campground. They had 
um, shelters and just different stuff for the public. And really, uh, we celebrated our 75 year anniversary a couple of years ago. And we uh, got some old architecture plans out from the WPA and, and what they were planning on doing was, was pretty incredible. Um, it was going to be a lot larger than it is now, but um, again, after the attack of Pearl Harbor, uh, all these young men, the CCC, uh, went to war. So that, that's just the general history of the park. Um, Susan Tolles is able to uh, collect a bunch of Audubon uh, memorabilia and artifacts and, and artwork. Uh, she got in touch with her, the Ottoman descendants and put a the major portion of the collection on loan uh, up until 1992 uh, at the park. And, and in 92, there's a huge tax bill for the descendants and they ended up having to auction it off. And uh, that's when our friends of Audubon really got going and they raised enough money and along with the state and ended up purchasing most of that collection. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a pretty unique history uh, as far as, just the the uh, the forming of the park and so right um yeah over seven uh, over seven decades of excellence for uh john james audubon state park now um like you have briefly mentioned the uh, park is um named after artistic bird enthusiast john james audubon who uh, made henderson his home between 1910 and 1919 now um Explain, if you would, how the park's natural beauty and landscape reflects Audubon's interests and talents. Okay, yeah, uh, well, Audubon was a very unique, and in, in, in my opinion, of course, I am a little biased, uh, unappreciated <laughs> no. uh, American woodsman, uh, but Audubon was a unique character. He was uh, the illegitimate son of a Navy captain that, um, when present day Haiti or, or it is Haiti now, um, uh, had a slave uprising, he, he brought his two illegitimate children back to France and his wife raised them as her own, own kids and, um, came to America when Napoleon decided to take over the war, uh, the world. But, um, you know, he came to, uh, the United States and he, you know, he was always drawing and doing things. Uh, but he was as much a naturalist and an outdoorsman as he was an artist and, uh, and a scientist, a, a wonderful dancer, musician, all different kinds of stuff. And so he's really a, a, a well-rounded individual. And the park, you know, represents that by, first of all, uh, sitting in the state's first nature preserve. Um, gotcha. Uh, uh, and uh, part of well, it's adjacent to to us where we'd have our hiking, hiking trails. Uh -huh. But Alderman did not spend much time indoors. He he tried to he he tried to do some businesses that were semi-successful. Some of them weren't. Some of them were, but um, most of them failed because he wanted to spend his time outdoors. And in Henderson, we're unique to a lot of state parks because we are kind of in the middle of a. Um, uh, heavily uh, or metropolis area you know evansville right across the river and then henderson sure. and a lot of the state parks are kind of in the middle of nowhere um but we are right off 41 and once you get back here you you forget really quickly how close you are to um to to town and uh, exactly. cities and you get back here and you can hike the woods as audubon you know we know audubon hunted and hiked around this area uh, painted birds um and so 
the park represents Audubon by, you know, people coming and having that experience. And uh, we do have one of the world's largest collections of Audubon art and artifacts. We have stuff that nobody has from a lot of his personal effects that were passed down from his family. And that's kind of what we're known for. But really, the special part of Ottoman is coming and being able to experience the outdoors. And, you know, if, if you're not a fan of the art, a lot of people are a fan of getting out and, uh, you know, getting in the outdoors. I mean, he was an incredible hunter, uh, probably killed more birds than anybody in the history of the United States. Right. Uh, and which is, which is funny because, you know, Audubon society is known for conservation, which, um, but, you know, I, I really think that, um, Experiencing the collection, which what we are really known known for here at the park, but but even more important is experiencing the outdoors and experiencing some of the educational opportunities that we have here. Sure, it's like country in the city now. I did not realize that uh, Audubon was home to the state's first nature preserve, so I learn something new every day. <laughs> but uh, anyway, now um, you're sitting in the museum, and uh, that is among the part the park's most notable attractions. It's devoted to the um, life of John James Audubon. And um, you've uh, mentioned it off and on here a little bit, but if you would, without any major spoilers, uh, give us an idea of what visitors can expect to see and learn about John James Audubon while perusing the museum. Yeah, so when you walk up to the building, it's an experience in itself. You have a beautiful garden. You're looking at this French provincial style building, uh, again, built French because of Ottoman. So you walk into the building and really, you know, the, the buildings were built by the CCC. And so there is much of the experience now and the history is, is the actual collection. But you walk in there and you, you have this old world feel already. Uh, but when you walk into the museum, uh, you're going to come to, uh, you know, we have a desk and gift shop, stuff like that. But the actual collection, you're going to you're going to find things uh, like I said earlier, as personal effects, uh, like we have some of his hair art where he made necklace and earrings out of his own hair and gave to his wife. Oh, uh, yeah, you have uh, um, a lot of his, some of his original paintings, his taxidermy work. Um, he has a set of books from Alexander Wilson, who was uh, doing basically what Audubon did uh, at, at the time when was actually well more known than Audubon, where he, he, uh, painted birds but they were kind of stiff and he would have notes on them and Audubon you have Audubon's notes where he corrected him in the book you know and so uh you walk in there you see you, you have all these paintings which which he's, which he's known for right uh but we have a lot of his personal effects his original journal where he sold his subscriptions to his um to his life work which was the the uh birds of america elephant folios and we have a full set of those um and they're on display and we open pages and turn pages to that, which we're the one of the only public places that do that. Uh, his, his birds of America, Elvin Folio books are um, some of the most prized possessions in the world. And most are not in private hands. They're pretty much in institutions. Um, so you're going to go through the, you know, our galleries and, and see a lot, of, a lot of the history of that time period and how it correlated to what Audubon was doing. Um, you know, up until his later life. And then we have sections about his wife, Lucy, who played an instrumental part uh, in his um, career. And, and, you know, Audubon's a much an absent husband. He, he, he was 
out selling works and painting and doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, she kind of put up with him, I guess. But we have uh, we we have a lot of a lot of uh, some of her personal effects in there as well. And so the museum really is a complete history of Ottoman, which, as far as I know, is the only one uh, in the world that that does that. Um, and the building, and then in the 1990s, they built a nature center, which, um, you know, again, uh, like I said earlier, uh, the artifacts and, and, and learning about them is important, but I think that the most important is how you utilize that in today's world. And so uh, we have a wonderful observation area where you can enjoy nature. We have a 47-seat um, state-of-the-art theater that was built by our friends of Audubon in 2014 that really has some cool uh, movies on them. One tells the history of the park and the other one tells uh, kind of uh, about what's in our museum uh, and the relevance of it today. And then, and then we have uh, several meeting spaces where uh, when, when they're not being used by the public, which they haven't been a, a lot lately, but um, we, we have our education programs uh, going on there and we have you know, people come in and see turtles and snakes and all different kinds of stuff in the nature center. Sure. So it's a really uh, unique experience. Um, you know, you can come in and, and spend uh, several hours going through and, and looking at uh, the artifacts and, and, and enjoying your day. And it's kid friendly from the aspect that we have a lot of uh, snakes and turtles and all different kinds of stuff that, that people uh -huh. can see. And a, a wonderful freshwater fish tank that has nature, uh, natural um a native fish in it and so it's it's a it's not a huge museum but it's if you if you come you i don't think anybody would be disappointed no there's enough for several days worth of uh, visits to the museum and hair necklaces have got to be few and far between so if you want to see a hair necklace <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, swing by the museum. Now, uh, you mentioned the education programs. We'll dive into those a little bit more here shortly. Now, um, Audubon uh, is the home of 6.5 miles of scenic hiking trails, which vary in length and difficulty. Now, if you would, Mark, uh, tell us about the most popular trails and explain what makes them a hit among your visitors. Sure, we have. What's unique about um, uh, the park is that um, we acquired 650 acres uh, about five years ago uh, in a wetlands area that's adjacent to the park and uh, that's something we've been wanting to get for a long time. It has a cypress living in it. It's really a cool experience and in the older part of the park which is, is about 724 acres uh, we have some of the original CCC hiking trails and we, we kind of added on, on to those over the years but um, so you can actually experience a uh, woodland forest uh, with with some pretty big hills, uh, and and then go experience a wetlands, um, which we have a six hundred or seven hundred fifty foot boardwalk that goes into the wetlands, where you can look at that. So that's really uh, a cool. It's about a, it's about a mile and a half uh, round trip uh, right. to do that, but you can get to the to the boardwalk in less than a half a mile. Uh, but probably our most popular trail is the uh, Wilderness Lake Trail, which um, goes through and, and you come upon a, a lake that was actually built by the CCC. Now, that lake has currently uh, been repaired. The levee's been repaired, so it's filling back up. But uh, you have really some really cool bridges that go around the lakeside. And, you, and, you know, you can see a lot of 
uh, activity. I mean, this is a wonderful place for birding. We have, you know, natural flyway, um, you know, from birds heading north, south, right. uh, or south to north. And so you get to see a lot of variety depending on the year of that. Uh, we have river otters in there. So you can see a lot of different wildlife um, hiking those trails. Gotcha. Well, so regardless of uh, what you're looking to see or the distance you're looking to walk, there is a, a hiking trail designed with you in mind. Now, the, uh, yeah. the breathtaking cottages uh, within the park have become a serene source of R&R for uh, honeymooners and empty nesters and everybody in between. So why don't you describe what sets the cottages at Audubon apart from those at other state parks? Well, you know, we, we, we don't have a whole lot of them. We have six, and but five of those are were built by the CCC and have big stone hearth fireplaces in them that uh, October through April, uh, we provide firewood and, and it's, not, it's a, uh, uh, an experience that's really cozy, but, but, but they're, you know, they're built by CCC, but they have been modified where you have the, the modern conveniences uh, of home. Um, but, um, they are just uh, something, you know, a lot of people don't have, you know, f real wood fireplaces anymore. They have uh, natural gas or, or propane and stuff like that. So sure. uh, that's the, you know, the, one of the biggest experiences. And, and my favorite time is like this time of year or we can catch it when there's a good snow. Um, uh, they're just very unique cabins or uh, our housekeepers do an excellent job cleaning them there. But and you're going to come, you're going to have, uh, it's like a hotel you're going to be provided with all the linens and you're actually going to have internet, which, which I, I would not like to have if I was going to stay in and True. Kind of to <laughs> disconnect, but, uh, we, uh, and we have, so, so those are very unique and they're very well kept and, and cared for. Um, and again, you're, you're sitting here in, in the middle of a woods and it's kind of, they're kind of situated on a lake. And, but if you need to go get groceries, you're less than 10 minutes away from, from getting that. And so I, I think the best experience is if you came and, and stopped off at a grocery store and uh, grilled or cooked and just sit, sit by a fire. And mm. um, I, I think that a lot of people enjoy that. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, doing that. And there are very few cabins and cottages that are, that are like that anymore, not just in the state, but most of them have been converted. And we do have a larger two-bedroom cabin available it has four queen-size beds in it two bathrooms and it's got a large area for kind of bigger groups um, so we have a lot of people that rent all of them and have family reunions and um, different things or if we're having a wedding they'll rent all those the cabins or a lot of them uh, they do stay busy on the weekends throughout the year right. um, um, so and, and you actually have to call the park to to reserve those uh, most of all the other cabins in the state uh, system you can get online but ours you can't uh, we do have limited hours for our um, desk people because uh, we're just not a huge park and we we can't employ somebody 24 hours so sure. they'd have to call a park to um to make a reservation now how far in advance do you allow people to make reservations for those cottages one year one year in advance so one year in advance yep okay so plenty of uh plenty of opportunity no excuse for you not to get your cottage of choice reserved when you want it it sounds like a good time to me get together grill out do some s'mores I can just taste I haven't had a s'more in forever 
But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe maybe we can make that happen sooner than later. Now, Audubon offers a variety of environmental and um, art instructional programs uniquely tailored to groups of all ages. Now, if you would, Mark, give us an overview of these programs and explain the um, educational opportunities that they present. Yeah, we... Um... Well, this time of year, is, it's, it's, it's been a very unique year, as, as it has with everyone. And a typical year, we do over 700 school programs and, and different programs uh, throughout the year. Uh, typically in um, September, October, February, March, we're, we're doing school programs on a daily basis. It's, it's, it's you know, schools from within a 50-mile uh, radius, we have... Um, you know, almost half a million people live around here. Uh, so you have a lot of schools that come and do that. But we also offer uh, a lot of public programming. Um, uh, our campground has been closed for a couple of years. We're working on a levy project, which is something that should be completed uh, this next year at some point. Uh, but when those are open, we, we do daily uh, programs down there that the public are, uh, they can come to. They're more uh, nature oriented. Uh, we have nature programs throughout the, uh, the month, every month. Uh, our biggest and probably most successful nature program is we have a birds of prey program where we actually have uh, hawks and different birds of prey that we keep here that have been injured for whatever reason. A lot of them have been hit by cars and stuff like that, that we do some rehab with them and we do an education program with live birds. Oh, wow. um, and so, uh, you know, the, and then our art program, we're, we're the only uh, state uh, park that has a full-time art educator. So uh, we'll have different exhibits throughout the year where we'll have uh, local to national artists come in and do exhibits. Uh, she does uh, an adult artist workshop and does a lot of kids programs. Uh, so, you know, we're doing turkey time here and, and the next couple of weeks. So, um you know, of course, that has been limited this year. Uh, so we've done a lot of virtual stuff. Sure. Uh, people can go to our uh, uh, Facebook page or Instagram, but and we've done a lot of virtual stuff where we do nature programming that people can go in their backyard and 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 do and art art as well. And then we have our curator that does uh, tours and special historic uh, programming. So at Audubon, we're unique because we always say this is where art, nature, and history come together. Um, so um, it's a very broad, uh, it's a very broad education opportunities. A lot of groups that come in or uh, people that call and want, um, want to do a program, we'll, we'll do an art history and nature program where they kind of rotate to different, <clears throat> different uh, people. And so it's a, it's been a challenge this year uh, being able to do that. We're starting to open up a little bit, and then then our, our county became uh, in the red zone, uh, so we're we're scaling back again. Sure. Um, but we we are doing a lot of vir more virtual stuff um, than we have in the past. Awesome, yeah, and you can uh, check those out on social media. Now, your art educator is uh, none other than Kim McGrew Liggett, who I know personally, and she's been there um, about as long as you have, hasn't she? She's been here longer than I have. She's, I, I think she's, she's over 20 years, um, or it's around the 20 year mark. Gotcha. Um, so she's, she's been here quite a bit. She doesn't, she does some incredible programs. We do a, a, uh, uh, Audubon art and, and, uh, music camp and it's for special needs kids and people from 
Owensboro, Evansville, uh, Henderson, Webster County, they all come. And it's a week-long celebration where uh, kids with varying degrees of disabilities come. And she's been doing that for, for as long as she's been here and you know, won a national award. Uh, so um, she, she's a, a treasure for us, for sure. Yeah, and you can tell she's passionate about it, too. So check out those programs and um, all that the park has to offer. Now, before we uh, put a capper on this thing, Mark, in 30 seconds or less, why don't you give us your best sales pitch for Audubon State Park as the perfect escape from reality? Yeah, so you can... Audubon really has something for everyone. If, if people like to exercise, there's there are trails for that in nature. If you if you love nature, uh, some of the best places in this area to come uh, witness nature, uh, from the wetlands to the upland forest. Um, if you enjoy art and history, we have the world's best collection of Audubon art and memorabilia. We have uh, wonderful cabins to stay in. A nine-hole golf course is one of the nicest nine-hole golf courses in the state. Um, our campground, uh, when it is open, is typically a wonderful place to come and, and, and have s'mores and, and enjoy family time. Uh, so we really have a unique experience, uh, a complete experience, right off 41. And I, I think that anybody that comes would not be disappointed. No, they definitely enjoy themselves. I can <laughs> wholeheartedly attest to that. So uh, check them out, uh, parks.ky.gov. You can search for Audubon there. Uh, they also have, like Mark said, a Facebook presence. It's John James Audubon State Park. It's also John James Audubon State Park on Instagram. And uh, the Twitter handle is at JJA State Park. So uh, yes. check all those out. Uh, Mark.Keelan at ky.gov. It's M-A-R-K dot K-E-L-L-E-N at ky.gov if you've got any questions for the man, and I'm sure he can steer <laughs> you in the right direction. Well, uh, I know you're a busy man, so uh, thank you so much for taking time to join us today, and uh, we'd love to have you back on again in the future with us. Anytime. Thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate it. All right, Mark. We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Folks, I don't care where you are within or outside of the Commonwealth for that matter. It is well worth your time and gas to pay a visit to Audubon State Park, peruse through the museum, play a few holes on the course, and just let nature cure whatever ails you. And if you'd like to find out more about the park, simply refer to the show notes. And don't hesitate to send Mr. Mark Keelan an email and he'll get you squared away with what you need, okay? Definitely nice having him on the show today. And with that, let's stroll on along to our second feature of the program. It's yet another Commonwealth crowd pleaser. Now, the Commonwealth crowd pleaser, well, could be a musician, could be an author, a comedian, anybody that wows audiences here in Kentucky. And this week, it is a Louisville-based touring band who's been making music for going on 13 years and they have a very unique and innovative style they're going to tell us about, and we will also hear a track from their latest album. Now, they were not able to play this for us live because they zoomed in from separate locations, and they were worried that the delay might throw them off, so I couldn't blame them there. But they did send me a track to work with, so we will hear a sample from their album in the Afterglow once we complete the interview. But for now, let's take a listen to Audrey Cecil and Amanda Lucas, better known together as Bridge 19. 
Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. It is yet another Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And today we have a band who has been a part of the Louisville scene, the Louisville music scene, that is, since 2007. And their music can't be combined or confined, I should say, to one genre. It's just too complex. We'll talk more about that as we go along here. But um, I discovered them on uh, Wood Songs Old Time Radio Hour with Michael Jonathan when they were uh, appearing on that show. They've also made appearances on uh, nationally syndicated NPR, and they have been ranked number one on Thrillist's list of Louisville bands Louisville's best bands that you need to hear. So quite uh, quite some impressive feats there, and we are privileged to have them on our show today. Let's put our hands together for Bridge 19. Hello. Hey, Amanda thanks so Lucas much for having us. And Audrey Cecil, it is a pleasure to have you. I am so glad that you were able to take time out of your um, busy schedules to join us. I know they've been slightly less busy with uh, COVID throwing a kink in things these days. Yeah, a lot less busy. But uh, <laughs> but hopefully that. Unfortunately, hey, we'll we'll cross our fingers and toes that um, that that changes sooner than later. But uh, in, anyway, I know that uh, growing up in Louisville, you ladies were uh, friends and cohorts on a traveling softball team. Now, did you two ever sing together during your youth, like at uh, talent shows or community events, anything like that? No, so. Um, no. I think that either of us really knew that the other wanted to sing or even that we ourselves wanted to sing. I know I uh, got my first guitar. I bought it at a pawn shop when I was 13. And so I started playing, I guess, in front of people in high school, uh, but we went to separate high schools. So I did play at some talent shows and in some classroom settings in high school. Um, but because we went to separate schools, we never really knew that the other was interested in music until later in life. I gotcha. Now, Amanda and Audrey, what, uh, what high schools did y'all go to? Just curious. This is Audrey. I went to Holy Cross High School in um, Southwest Jefferson County. Right. Gotcha. Yep. And I went to uh, Bullet East High School in Mount Washington, Kentucky. Bullet East. Okay, so Southside. I see. I've got a friend that... Uh, went to Fern Creek. I think most of my other Louisville friends went to Manual. But anyway, <laughs> we've got uh, two uh, Louisville area schools represented here anyway. Now, yeah, here's the, uh, here's the interesting thing. Uh, following your days on uh, the traveling softball team that you all were on, you opposed each other in softball as collegiate athletes. So I was wondering, uh, what was it like for you two dear friends to occasionally share a softball field as rivals during your college days? I think it was fun. I mean, I always <laughs> look forward to traveling there to and, and seeing her. And, you know, it was always friendly competition. And um, yeah. I, that's, yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. You pulled for each other unless you were on the ball diamond. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Now, what, what colleges did y'all go to? Uh, I went to Spalding University in Louisville. Okay. And I went to Lindsey Wilson College in Columbia, Kentucky. Columbia and Louisville. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. the road trips uh, were not that far. So that's... Uh, no, not to, not to those colleges. They no, were. no. <laughs> not at all. Now, according to your website, uh, Touches of Americana, Vintage Nashville, 
lively pop, Motown, singer-songwriter, and even disco float from song to song. That's quite, uh, quite a bit of diversity there. Now, uh, who or what inspired this innovative style? That's a well, great question. Um, yeah. Sorry, Amanda. Uh, no, go ahead. I I can't. I I don't ever remember um, us like talking about creating a style. It, I think everything has always come song by song since the very beginning. Um, you know, and each song we try to, you know. Um, make the music fit the lyrics as much as we can. And we just, we write what we like. Like I, I like to write songs that I would want to listen to. Um, so I, I don't know that we ever decided that we were going to have a style. It just kind of. It just sort of came naturally, huh? Organically comes out you know, with each song that we begin. I think so. Our harmonies, I would say, um, our vocal harmonies are kind of the, the cornerstone, I guess, of, of our songwriting and right. at least, you know, musically. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of informs, uh, each song. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think we ever really decided what we were going to be. And I think it shows <laughs> for, <laughs> hey, that's for better or for worse. <laughs> hey, variety is the spice of life. Now, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> who were y'all's musical influences growing up? Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of mention just back to the original question was just that I think another reason why it is so different and varies is because we both listen to a lot of music. Oh, okay. um, and so I think that we both have a lot of um, different types of music that we like. And I think it kind of all, you know, comes together in these songs. And then also, I think probably the musicians that we play with kind of have an influence. And so whether it be, you know, drums or, you know, keys or accordion, trumpet, whatever the case may be, I think all of that kind of has played a role in the style. Um, but as far as musical influences growing up, I know for me, um, you know, the main kind of music I listened to, honestly, until I met Audrey, was, you know, country music, um, mostly oh, 90s, you and me both. 90s country. And so um, that's all my parents would let me listen to. And then I went to college and started hearing of other artists, but it was funny when Audrey and I first started, you know, playing together, we were trying to figure out what songs we could each, you know, do for cover songs. And she was playing me like Indigo Girls and Fleetwood Mac. And it's sad to say I had no idea who those bands were when I was 24 years old. So yeah, that's a far, that's a far cry from country music right there. It but, is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, but I think all of that is kind of what has inspired and, and you know led to this being what it is well that's cool stuff it's uh <laughs> definitely a, a unique um perspective on the music world that uh, that you two ladies offer now how do you think you've managed to be so successful with such diversity in your music are we successful <laughs> we're going to give you credit for being successful it's news to me <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding we are we are ever grateful for every supporter that we have and people who have followed us to watch us play music through years and years. And, you know, every promoter who's given us an opportunity to play with our heroes and be on a, on a big stage at a festival or whatever. Um, but, you know, like, 
That's a really good question. Um, I think our honesty comes through, um, you know, whether it's a, a straight folk song that we write or a sing, singer songwriter song or more of a Americana song or even like a more Motowny sounding song. I think the common thread is that we try to stay honest as much as we can. Right. And I think people notice that. And, um, you know, we try to write songs that we can perform in a way that um, connects with people. Um, and yeah, I would, I would, I would say that's every bit of success that we've had has come because people believe us when we sing. Sure. And, um, most music fans, myself included, really appreciate, uh, musicians who are uh, true to themselves. So yeah, y'all are to be commended for that. Now, um, there's an interesting story behind the name Briggs 19. It stems from uh, a math formula here. Uh, because your first gig that you two did as a as a dynamic duo was uh, December 2007, and 12 and 7, of course, add up to 19, and there was a bridge on the scene at this event. So I was wondering if you all could um, talk about where exactly this event took place, and uh, what do you remember most about this first concert? Well, the extremely nervous. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't believe that. Yeah. Well, the bridge in question is the Second Street Bridge in downtown Louisville, and I will say that we did not play at the Yum Center, which is right beside it. So we were actually playing at Bear Nose by the Bridge, which is a small restaurant right beside the Second Street Bridge. And yeah, I mean, to echo what Audrey said, definitely nervous. You know, I think at that time we had been playing um, some shows as a trio and some full band shows with her duo at the time, um, but not really you know, as, as a duo of our, our own. And so, um, you know, playing songs for the first time, you know, as a duo, which is always nerve wracking um, when sure. you're playing something for the first time. So yeah, definitely nervous. I remember the stage was very small. Um, that's something that I remember. What else? What <laughs> Were you kind of crammed up there? <laughs> yeah, it's a small stage. Yeah, the this particular venue, um, is a very like it's literally underground like you you walk down stairs from the sidewalk that go down into the ground so it's like a basement basically the whole venue is is a basement uh -huh. and so i just remember it being but people you know people love this place it's a, it's a great spot and still they have lots of great music there um yeah i just remember it being dark and being crazy nervous which it being a little dark when you're nervous is kind of a good thing because uh, <laughs> people go. can see you less and you're a little less uh, self-conscious. But sure, I think I remember it going well, maybe. Well, I'd say it couldn't have gone too bad. You're <laughs> yeah, I guess we didn't completely flop. <laughs> hey, you're, you're still kicking and making music, so that counts for something. By the way, I'm sure you'll make it across the street there to the Yum Center sooner than One later. Day. <laughs> Hopefully it's not just to watch someone else. One day it'd be nice to actually play. <laughs> <laughs> or um let's shoot for the stars how about uh how about cardinal stadium <laughs> we'll take what we can there you go <laughs> absolutely now uh we mentioned your your previous gigs and um uh briefly earlier we touched on your appearance uh on the wood songs old time radio hour with michael jonathan which appears on the ket across the state and other pbs stations and the 
countless radio stations coast to coast. So uh, talk about that experience, if you would, and um, tell us what an honor and uh, a privilege that was. Huge. It was huge. Um, you know, I came up watching that show and especially through my like musical formula uh formative years from you know 19 to my early 20s like I was obsessed with with that show and who was going to be on it next because they featured all my favorite people um and uh you know we got to share the stage that evening with um over the who is somebody I have followed and purchased every bit of music that they've put out since forever. Um, man, yeah, it's, it's, it was such a good night. And um, I was, Amanda and I were talking recently, and it's funny because since COVID started, you know, you know, typically we would uh, play ton like crazy busy all summer long with shows and festivals and this and that and so we have kind of a steady stream of merch that we sell you know vinyl records and cds and shirts and whatever people want right. but since covid started it it's it's like crickets yeah i mean because people people don't see us people don't discover us because we're not out there however like two or three times i have noticed like all on the same day, multiple merch orders will come in through our website. And it took me a while to realize it, but it's the days that Woodsongs airs on KET. Ah, <laughs> see? Which is kind of cool. There you go. Hopefully you'll notice a similar pattern um, when Blabbing in the Bluegrass comes out with you all as my special guest. Let's hope. So, Let's hope. <laughs> you know, that would, that would really be uh, the ultimate goal here too. Now, I'm just curious, both yeah. of you live in Louisville. Um, What's the uh, what's the farthest you've ever traveled to perform a gig? So we played in Seattle at an event that Brandy Carlisle hosted. Right. Um, and that was actually my first time ever flying on an airplane. And so oh, a little nerve wracking. <laughs> uh, more than a little. There was months <laughs> of therapy and medication involved, um, but luckily I made it, um, and that was really a cool experience. We performed on stage at her event in Seattle. And then we performed um, a, just like a contest. I know we won the contest. And it's so like, I know- It was an open mic. Yeah, it was an open mic contest and we won that. So then we got gift cards to the record store out there. I remember that. Um, this was back in 2010. Easy Street. Easy, Easy Street, Street Records. Records. Yeah, so that has been 10 years ago. Um, so that's the furthest that we've traveled to play music. I gotcha. That's a, that's quite the trip, and for a first-time flyer, that was a, that's yeah. a pretty long plane flight as it is, and it probably seemed way longer. <laughs> Listen, I did research on how long it would take to take a train, to like drive a car. I did all the research that you could do to be, do anything but fly on an airplane. Right. Um, <laughs> but I still somehow ended up on the plane. And you just made decided it broke that the seal the for you. It did. It broke the seal, so now you can go other places too or you do as, go other places as too. long as there's medication i absolutely will go there you wherever. Go. <laughs> as yes. long as you got your medication you can uh fly wherever whenever that's right <laughs> now um you mentioned brandy carlisle that you played with you ladies have also played with uh, sarah mclaughlin and sleep at the wheel just to name a few now 
is there any particular gig or performance that um, stands out as uh, being the most memorable or or meaningful to you? I know we touched on Seattle a little bit ago. Is there any others that stand out? I have two, but a lot. Yeah, um, there are probably there are probably five or so that okay we can do top five <laughs> are well oh, i'm not going to talk about all of them we'll oh. be here all night but yeah the, the most recent one was actually the last one what was the last show we played before covid and um it we got to open for joan osborne at headliners and but the coolest part of that night was that we were her backing band for her set um oh, cool. so yeah it was it was just amazing um and so we got to play like um you know what if god was one of us you know that song from oh yeah you know, from i the guess the 90s, 90s or early 2000s um and a bunch of bob dylan songs with her um and that was just so fresh in my mind um you know little did we know that sold out headliners shoulder to shoulder with people dancing uh, would be the last time that we would play together for almost a year. Yeah, so, nobody yeah, knew that was, was coming down the pipe. No, that was crazy special. But that was good. So, uh, Amanda, what about yours, dear? Yeah, I mean, the Joan Osborne show is definitely one of my all-time most memorable and special just because, again, when you're, you know, in eighth grade, and that's what you're listening to, and you can't imagine that in – however many years later you're going to be playing the song that you're singing as you're skating around the, the skating rink, you're going to be right. singing it with the person that wrote it and, you know, performed it. So that was really special. Um, but the other one that I was going to say was when we opened for the Lilith Fair tour. So back in 2010, there was a brief run of Lilith Fair um, dates that had like Sarah McLaughlin, the Courtyard Hounds, which was the two Dixie Chicks uh, sisters, um mary oh, gotcha. j blige patty smith um butterfly boucher i can't remember everybody that was there that day but we opened that show in indianapolis and then we got to go on stage and actually i guess patty smith wasn't there we sang a patty smith song for the encore and so we were singing in the mic with sarah mclaughlin which i mean again just surreal and so yeah it's priceless isn't it yeah and i just remember you know how it was to be like in that place that day where you're like backstage with Miranda Lambert and at the time Blake Shelton, um, right. you know, doing a press conference and then the reality of having to go to work the next day and just how like <laughs> that was terrible, but also just, the, it made the moment so special and incredible. And for one day you felt like a rock star, you know, you have all the, the passes for all the free food and they're driving you around on a golf cart and just, yeah. it was just the coolest coolest thing to like do that so yeah that was probably one of my most memorable you were in the presence of elite company for sure <laughs> yeah for the day yes exactly hey that's uh, like you said take what you can get now right. uh, your your third and most recent album is entitled in the afterglow and this was um released in 2019 now if you two would um tell me in your opinion what sets this album apart from the two previous albums that you've recorded? Hmm. Good question. Um, it's newer. We know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's newer. Um, I think sonically it's very different. Um, 
we, um, you know, we have talked about this before, um, is that it's the, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the first album co-wrote every song. Is that right? No, no we, we co-wrote no, co Riding on a Wire. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I guess we did. Anyway, um, sonically, you know, I think it's very different. You know, it takes a couple of turns. There's a song on there that's like a, like a disco tune. Um, you know, there's one that's like this very like heavy, heavy Southwestern kind of like, you know, um, what do they call it? Like uh, spaghetti, spaghetti, not spaghetti country, spaghetti Western. Um, you, and you don't hear that one so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so I think somehow we were able to make those make sense together. I mean, there's a couple of outliers on it. And we hadn't really taken a risk like that before to, to really like, um, you know, put a song on that was just, or a couple of songs that were just so wildly different from the other ones. Right. Um, but it was really fun. Well, cool stuff. And as I say, no risk it, no biscuit. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. I would say, yeah, I would say that. that. So, <laughs> hey, feel free. I won't charge it. So <laughs> anyhow, um, um, last but certainly not least, what's next on the agenda for Bridge 19? Obviously, nipping this COVID in the bud would be a start. We're working on the vaccine. We're, all, <laughs> We're almost know, there. No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, you know, I love agendas. So normally I would have one, uh, but I don't believe there really is an agenda at this point. You know, I think there's so much, and I hate to use the word uncertainty because it's been so overused in 2020, but I just think because of the uncertainty of where things are going to go with COVID, it's kind of hard to make a plan specifically for live shows. I think we will obviously get creative this winter and figuring out ways to continue to create music um, and to engage, you know, folks who want to hear us play. Um, you know, back at the beginning of COVID, we did a couple of music videos where all of the band members played from their homes. And then we combined all of the, the you know, parts together to create like a video from home. And so I could see maybe more things like that um, in, the, in the meantime, um, while we're waiting for a vaccine and all of the things. And so we've done quite a few virtual shows. I could see you know, more of that. Um, we've talked about writing and potentially putting something together, but again, I think that is to be determined, but it's definitely something that I know we've discussed and would like to do. Um, sure. But, you know, I think personally, the thing that I miss the most with music is just the, the ability to play and connect with people. Um, it's definitely different in a virtual world than playing to an actual audience. And so, you know, we know that indoor opportunities are not possible at this time. And so I think it's just going to be waiting to see what the spring looks like um, for live shows, but doing a lot of different things in the interim, I think to just, again, keep people engaged. And um, Audrey, if you have anything to add, I didn't know what else there was for you to say, because I don't know. Well, you pretty much summed it up. You know, we've been getting a little creative with like possibilities of, you know, turns we can take with our music, um, sure. writing you know, would be involved for sure. So I'd, I would say writing would probably be the, the first order of business in terms of, um, you know, moving forward. Well, it sounds like uh, 
you two, along with everybody else, have uh, gotten a little better at um, improvising to uh, stay connected with your audience yeah. <laughs> during yeah. this time frame, and that's what it's all about. Now, before mm -hmm. we wrap this thing up, um, we were uh, definitely pleased to have uh, Audrey Cecil and Amanda Lucas, uh, lead vocalists and lead members of uh, Bridge 19, but why don't let's give some props and to show some love to your other band members and uh, introduce us to them, tell us who they are. Definitely. Um, we miss our guys. Um, Jeff Faith is our bass player. Okay. Um, he, is, he is a wonderful, wonderful guy who is a jack of all trades. And uh, Joey Tiemann is our keys and uh, horn player. And he's been singing a little bit more lately, which is really lovely. Um, and he's a jack of all trades musically. He can do everything. So you got two jack of all two jacks of all trades in your band. Yeah, we do. We're we're really lucky. There you go. Well, uh, and how many bands include a horn too? So that's another thing that uh, yeah. definitely sets Bridge Nineteen apart from the pack. Well, we wish you two continued success. And folks, you can check them out. It's bridge19.com. It's the website. They also uh, have a Facebook presence. It's Bridge Nineteen there, and also Bridge Nineteen on YouTube. You can also find them at Bridge19 Music on um, Instagram as well as Twitter. So plenty of outlets and opportunities for you to uh, connect and interact and get to know these ladies a little better. And uh, what a privilege it was to have them on Blabbing in the Bluegrass today. And um, thanks so much for joining us. We'd love to have you two ladies uh, back on again with us in the future. Anytime. Yeah, we love that. Thank you so much. Awesome. We sure appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks Absolutely. a lot. Thank you. True talents, they are indeed. It was definitely my honor to visit with Bridge 19. And speaking of the horn, you will clearly hear that in this song. And they were unable to perform for us live, but this is without a doubt the next best thing. From their 2019 album, In the Afterglow, let's take a listen to a little tune entitled The Truth. It's Bridge 19. You said I was blind Saw nobody's needs but mine
Andre Cecil and Amanda Lucas, better known professionally as Bridge 19 with their song known as The Truth. What a great one it is, and you can find that on their 2019 album, In the Afterglow. And we definitely want to wish the Bridge 19 crew nothing but the best along their road ahead. And we also want to thank Mr. Mark Keelan from Audubon State Park for zooming in with us today. And before we put this bad boy to bed, you know the drill. I've got the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster from earlier in the show. Now, of course, this week I asked, what is the most recent county to be established in Kentucky? What is the Commonwealth's newest county? And your answer? McCrary County. Yes, indeed. McCrary County is the most recent county to be established in the Commonwealth, and it first came to be on March 12th of 1912. So, friends, next year on March 12th of 2021, it'll be the 109th birthday of McCrary County. But even at that, it is the newest county in the state of Kentucky. You know, a portion of Cumberland Falls State Park is seated in McCrary County. So, big shout out to Mr. Brett Smitley from Cumberland Falls. We had him on the program last week. He was outstanding. And I sure hope you come on back next week because we will have another Bluegrass Brain Buster. So, I want you to study up so that you're prepared. Questions, comments, send them my way. It's bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. I love having you here each week. We'll do it again next week with two more great guests and more big fun. But until then, do me a favor. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Because we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.